Well, today we're going to be talking about fire. You know, I love a good fire, especially in the fall time. It makes me think of bonfires. Um, you know, when you go out and you have those hot dogs and you're cooking them and those s'mores. And I usually forget that and just go for the marshmallows. You know, I love my marshmallows burnt and I just eat those straight. I can't wait for the whole chocolate and graham thing to melt. I just go for the marshmallows. But I love that time, this time of year. I love the smell of it. Um, but then there's also some fires that aren't so good. Fires that burn. Fires that burn homes. When my parents' home burnt down, and it was devastating, um, you know, to to go back to where you're, I was raised for the most part, and it was gone. And yet, out of the embers, you know, God was was with them and through it. Well, today, um, fire is going to be what we're going to be talking about. And so we're going to look at four different characters. Turn to 1 Kings, and we're going to be in either chapter 16, 17, or 18. So we have four different characters that we're going to be looking at today. The first one is uh, King Ahab. Now, if you turn to the um, chapter 16, look on verses 29 and 30, and it's kind of in the middle of verse 29 that it says, Ahab, the son of Amri, became king over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Amri, reigned over Israel in Samaria 22 years. Now Ahab, the son of Amri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. Now that says a lot, doesn't it? That really gives the character of who he is. If that couldn't make matters worse, he then marries Jezebel. Now, I think most of you have heard Jezebel, haven't we? Well, it was after he married Jezebel that Ahab built a temple in Baal in Samaria and even erected, I mean, this is something that I can't even believe, he erected an altar to Baal in the temple. Can you imagine? So this being a temple, the church, in addition to the altar, to God, there is another altar to Baal, as well as a sacred Asherah pole. So he really had a lot of guts, didn't he? And really did not have the fear of the Lord in him. Now, as a result of that, many of the Israelites strayed as well. God is a jealous God. God only wants us. He wants him to be our God. And that's it. Remember, one of the first Ten Commandment is, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. He loves us. And, you know, I used to just think those are rules and regulations growing up. You know, <laughs> it's like, okay, check, check, check. All the no's. You know, can't do this, can't do that. God wanted our love. It wasn't as a check. He desired for us to love only him and no one else. And so the Ten Commandments came about. So as a response to Ahab, he sends prophet Elijah. Now, we don't know much about Elijah, at least up until this point. And even um, through the story, we get to find out a little bit more about him. So if you turn to um, chapter 17, 
um, it talks about who Elijah is, 17 verse 1. It says, now Elijah, who is from Trishba in Gilead, told King Ahab. Okay, so just that little bit tells us a lot, doesn't it? Well, it tells us where he was from, but it also tells us that a prophet is someone that hears from God and speaks those words to the people. Now, can you imagine going to the king? That would be like going to the president here and saying, uh, you're not doing things right. <laughs> you're actually going against what God's told you to do. And back then, if you upset the king, you know, they didn't send you to prison. They didn't slap your hand. They just cut off your head. Didn't even waste time. So here he was. And he goes to the king and it says, as surely as the Lord God of Israel lives, the God I serve. So we also find out that he serves the God, the Lord God of Israel. There will be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give the word. Now, this is a word that God gave him to give to King Ahab. Why did he give this word? To make himself popular? to go down in the book because God told him. That's what God told him to do. Now, I want you to think we're in a community of farms. What would happen if someone told us it's not going to rain in the next few years? Not a drop, not do, nothing. What is, what's the corn going to look like? What's the wheat going to look like? What are your flowers going to look like? It's going to be bad, right? In, um, I think it was July that we had maybe three weeks of no rain. And by the third week, our grass was no longer green. <laughs> it was brown. It was brown. It was crusty. <laughs> and it wasn't growing. Nothing. And that was only three weeks. He was saying after a few years, it's not going to rain until I say the word. God was good. He kept his promise. But you know, God is merciful, isn't he? God longs for us to hear him. He longs for us to be obedient. And so he sends Elijah back after three and a half years. Can you imagine what that must have felt like to go back to the king after three and a half years of no rain, no dew, no nothing? And so he goes to him and says, because it was interesting when King Ahab saw uh, Prophet Elijah, what would you do? What would you say to him? He already told you up front, this is going to happen because you have not followed the Lord your God. So three and a half years later, Elijah comes back to him. And you would think that during those three and a half years, he would have said, oh, you know, I'm so sorry. I've made a mistake, you know, and bowed down and worshiped the true God. He did not. Instead, looking at verse 17, it says, verse 16, I'm sorry, in chapter 17, Obadiah went to tell Ahab that Elijah had come and Ahab went out to meet Elijah. When Ahab saw him, he exclaimed, so it's, is it really you, you troublemaker of Israel? He was blaming Elijah, didn't he? You troublemaker. It's all your fault. It's not my fault. It's your fault. But good for Elijah. He didn't back down. He goes, you know, he didn't go, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's probably what I would have done. <laughs> don't kill me. Don't kill me. 
But instead, he says, I have made no trouble for Israel. You and your family are troublemakers, for you have refused to obey the commands of the Lord and have worshipped the images of Baal instead. Here we have a face-off. King Ahab that's not backing down. Elijah that's not backing down. God is wanting a confrontation. The God of Baal, the God, the Lord God of Israel. God had Elijah challenge the prophets of Baal and the prophets of Asherah on Mount Karma. Anybody watch Gunsmoke? Every Saturday night, we were on the farm. Gunsmoke was first. It must have been like at six or seven o'clock. And so here, Matt Dillon, all you see is his back and he's walking. And the villain is over there. And, uh, you know, he stops, pulls out his gun. And of course, he always wins, right? The bad guy is shot, sent away. That's what this is, a challenge between God and the God of Baal. And so now, if you turn to verses 19 and 21, it says, Elijah is saying this, now summon all of Israel to join me at Mount Carmel, along with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah, who are supported by Jezebel. So Ahab summoned all the people of Israel and the prophets to Mount Carmel. Then Elijah stood in front of them and said, how much longer will you waver? hobbling between two opinions. If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people were completely silent. They said nothing. He's giving them a challenge. Is God going to be your God? Or is Baal going to be your God? Who is the real God? Whoever the real God is, worship that God. As we're reading it, we're going, man, what's wrong with these guys? You know, how come they don't get their act together? All they have to do is just bow down to God. The Lord God, we know God's God. Why do you have to go through all of that? But in a sense, don't we do that as well? It's basically serving more than one God. I remember when I was in Taiwan and I felt like God was calling me, um, Rick, my husband, and I had been separated for 13 years, but um, Rick had a, a miraculous conversion, and God completely healed him. I thought, oh, that, that's great, because I'd seen it before. Things have changed. Two or three weeks, things will go back to where they were. And so I just said, okay, that's great. But in the midst of that, I felt like God was calling me to go back. Rick, he had been unfaithful to me. And so if you can imagine, I didn't want to just jump back into it. I didn't want to get my heart hurt again. I was happy all by myself. <laughs> all I had to worry about was me. And yet I kept feeling God saying, I want you to, to reunite. And in the midst of all that, God had three different people, three different times, come up to me and said, you know, there's a book that just came out, Redeeming Love. It's an amazing book. It's about Hosea and Gomer and that story there. Well, I know Hosea and Gomer. And was it Gomer that was the, she was the one that was unfaithful. And I'm going, 
okay, yeah, thanks, but no, I'm not going to, I didn't say that to her, to that person, but I just thought, okay, thanks. But wouldn't you know, another person came to me and said, you know, you should really read Redeeming Love. It's an amazing story about Jose and Gomer. I'm going, great, yeah, thanks. I'm thinking, no way. (laughs) I am not reading that because God's probably telling me, you're going to go back with him. He's going to be unfaithful. And it's going to be just like before. And I'm going, mm, no, no, I don't, I don't think I want to hear that. <laughs> the third time. Have you noticed that God speaks in threes? Third time. Same thing. Different person. I'm going, oh, okay. All right. So I got the book. Started reading it. And I'm going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep, yep. I know. I know, God. And guess what? Jesus said to me, Rick isn't Gomez. You are. I've been faithful. He goes, no, you have many other loves outside of me. I'm having you read that for you. I want to be your first love. I was in Taiwan serving him. And yet I had allowed other things, good things, for other things to take the place of my first love to him. So we are many times no different than the people of Israel. We allow things to come in. Maybe sometimes it's success. Maybe it's our finances. Maybe it's popularity or sports. Maybe it's the media. When you wake up, what's the first thing you look at? Do you look at Facebook or do you get into the word? So the challenge, let's keep going. Verse 22, and then Elijah said to them, I am the only prophet of the Lord who's left. Now that wasn't the case. Um, It told earlier that Obadiah had kept 50 on each side. Um, So he wasn't the only one. But at that point, when he was in Mount Carmel, he was the only one and the other 100 were hidden. But Baal has 450 prophets. Now, I want you to bring two bulls. The prophets of Baal may choose which one that they wish and cut it into pieces and lay it on the wood of their altar, but without setting fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood on the the altar, but not set fire to it. And then call on the name of your God and I'll call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by setting fire to the wood is the true God. Pretty easy, right? They build same scenario. They build their altar and their God, if he's truly God, will set it on fire. And then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, you go first for there are many of you choose one of the bulls and prepare it and call on the name of the Lord, your God, but do not set fire on the wood. So he was giving them all the advantages. He didn't want them to come back and say, oh, it was because of the wood or, oh, it was because of the bull that you gave us. They got to choose. So they prepared one of the bulls and placed it on the altar. And then they called in the name of Baal from morning until noontime. Oh, Baal, answer us. But there is no reply of any kind. So then they started dancing and hobbling around the altar that they had made. And about noontime, Elijah began mocking them. I'm going to remind you now that was 450 of them versus one of him. And so he was over there just 
laughing at him and going, you know, hey, you'll have to shout a little bit louder. You know, maybe for surely he is a God. Perhaps he's daydreaming or maybe he's just relieving himself, had to go to the bathroom or maybe he's just away on a trip or he's asleep and needs to be awakened. So they shouted louder and they followed their normal customs of cutting themselves with knives and swords until the blood gushed out. They waved until the time of the evening sacrifice, but there is no sound, no reply, no response. Let's see what Elijah does. First, verse 30, he calls the people to come near. Second, verses 30 to 32, Elijah rebuilds an old altar that had fallen. To rebuild means that it had to have been there at one point. Somewhere, sometime on Mount Carmel, there is the altar that they had come to worship God. The altar was there, but it had been in disrepair. He had to rebuild it. The altar was the foundation. And what does he do? He takes 12 stones, 12, representing the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. When you think of altars, you could tell the the spiritual temperature of Israel by how the altar looked. When the altar was in disrepair, the people's lives were in disrepair. Why was that a thing? You know, why is it that when the altar was in disrepair, then their lives were also in disrepair? The altar is where he meets us. This altar, this is where he meets us. This is where we meet him. It's where we lay our lives down and just lay it bare before him to say, Father, whatever it is that's going on within us, I just lay it down before you. I'm so sorry. Next, he would put the wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and lay it on the wood. So next thing is that Elijah had four water pots with water. Now it hit me uh, as I was running through this um, that there is a drought, a three and a half year drought. Where'd he get that water? I'm thinking it was God. Four jars of water. How many times did he ask him to refill it? Three times. The wood was wet. The sacrifice was wet. The altar was wet. Everything was wet. Lastly, but certainly not least, Elijah prayed. Let's look at his prayer. And I notice, remember, the Baal prophets prayed for at least six hours. And what happened? Nothing. Nothing happened. So Elijah prayed and just 63 short words that covered three really important parts. First, you're God. You are God. Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are the God of Israel. Second, who Elijah was. I'm just your servant. I'm nothing. I'm nobody. I'm just your servant. And I've done all these things at your word. So this isn't because of me. This isn't to get any glorification. This is all about you, God. Lastly, for the people's hearts. People may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. This whole thing, the prayer was all about him. 
had nothing to do with Elijah. He was just a simple man, human like you and I. It wasn't a fancy prayer. It wasn't a loud prayer. It wasn't a long prayer, but it got to the point. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. As soon as he finished, as soon as, don't you wish he answered all of our prayers like that? Some prayers I'm still waiting on, but here he answered immediately. Can he do it? Absolutely. Could he answer any of my prayers immediately? Yep. But guess what? Usually it's because I'm not ready. (laughs) I'm not ready or the other person's not ready. The situation's not ready. Guess what? He's God and I'm not. I'm in a hurry. I want things to happen. God's in no hurry. He's looking for the right time, the right place, the right person. Notice that he consumed it from the top to the bottom. First, it was a burnt sacrifice, and then the wood, and then the stones, and then the dust, and then he licked up the water. It was only God. It was only God's fire, God's consuming fire. And it's only his consuming fire that consumes our sin. It's only his consuming fire that can consume the things that we have done wrong, our sinful nature, our humanness. It was his consuming fire that could only take up the sacrifice. It was only his consuming fire that consumed the stones. He consumed the stones, the stubbornness, the hard-heartedness. He will burn away any other foundation in our lives other than the rock of Jesus. The fire of God even burned the dust away those little besetting sins, anything to keep us from being fully in love with him, the cares of this life, the material things of life, nothing more than just things. But they consume us, don't they? They consume us. What was Israel's response? Now, when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God.